Heavenly Father, we ask you to speak to us, to plant your word deep in us so that we would see, hear, and follow Christ with all our hearts. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Well, this morning we are continuing our study in Mark, uh, Mark chapter 6, verse 53 to chapter 7, verse 13. If you want to open your Bibles to page 1010, 1010. And we've been looking through Mark, haven't we, to get a clear idea of who Jesus, (coughs) excuse me, is. Uh, And we saw at the very start of Mark's gospel, uh, Mark tells us who Jesus is. He says, this is the Messiah, this is the promised King of God, the Son of God. Now, just in a different tact, I wonder if you go back to the playground. Uh, for some of you, it might be a little bit further back. You might have to use your imagination, it's a little bit more than others. Uh, but you can remember the nursery rhyme, Ring-a-ring-a-rosies. Do you remember it? How does it go? Ring-a-ring-a-rosies, a pocket full of posies, a tissue, a tissue, we all fall down. Do you know what it's about? It's about the plague, yeah. Ring a ring of rosies is the, is the ring of the rash. Pocket full of posies would have been the thing that they put over their, their noses to, to avoid the smell of death that was around. A tissue, a tissue, we all fall down is the infection. Now I'm making no reference to the coronavirus there, all right? But what, what was interesting was in 1952, a man called Jeffrey Hanley Taylor looked at a collection of 200 nursery rhymes. You'd think if there was anything to paint our world in rose-coloured pictures, it'd be a nursery rhyme. Nursery rhymes are really innocent, aren't they? No. There were murders, decapitation, uh, divorce. Uh, talking about being married was like being... Uh, what was the quote? It was like uh, being stuck to a horse for the rest of your life. Uh, there was a horrendous stuff in this thing. And, and so he thought that he should clean this stuff up. That if there was cases of murder, choking to death, a human being cut in half, black death, a whole pile of nasty stuff, if that's shocking in nursery rhymes, well, we should reform them. We should tidy them up. And that makes total sense. Because... What we teach children, we'll go through them with the rest of them. What we were taught as children, what influenced us as children, will influence generations to come. And the Pharisees that we meet in our passage today would be in total agreement. See, they were worried about what influenced people from the outside. And so they had particular laws about eating kosher food, the right type of food, and having your hands defiled. Uh, They would be having apoplexy uh, today. If they were living today with coronavirus, they'd be bathing themselves in in, in every type of bar of soap and not just singing happy birthday. They'd be singing, I don't know what's the longest song ever. But this morning, we're going to see an encounter with Jesus and these Pharisees, the religious enforcers of their day. And, And to be fair to them, they were They were trying to be good. They were trying to work out the smallest detail of how we keep God's law. They're impressive people. They were smart people. And they were very concerned not to let the standard slip at all. 
And so as we read our passage, we see in Mark chapter 7, verse 1, that a group of them have come from Jerusalem down to this place called Gennesaret. They've heard stories about this man called Jesus and the influence that he's having. They want to see for themselves what Jesus is doing. And in our passage, we're going to see that they're not happy at all. Just look at the question there in verse 5. Why do your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with unclean hearts? So picture the scene. A load of religious leaders, bishops, clergy and the like come down from Jerusalem and they're doing more than just asking a question. What they're doing to Jesus is they're making a complaint. How can you and your disciples behave like that? It's an anxious moment, doesn't it? And how will Jesus answer his critics? We'll look at verse 6. Jesus, he replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. Now can I say, if you're having a debate about faith, and your friend wants to talk to you about Jesus, this probably isn't the best way to continue a conversation. If you're going to call your friend the hypocrite, the conversation is going to shut down quite quickly. But what Jesus is trying to say to these people, they think they've got the whole law. They think they're following everything. And what Jesus says to them, you know, you think you know the Bible? You know, and he puts the Bible back to them. He says, Isaiah was right. He was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. Jesus leaves us in no doubt what he thinks of the Pharisees, these religious leaders. And as we read these, this, this statement of Jesus, this challenge of Jesus, we're to be thinking along the same lines. Because if Jesus were to stand in front of you and me today, what would he say of us? What would he say of you and what would he say of me? It is not an easy question to sit under. And as we read on, we'll see that Jesus exposes these guys and maybe our hypocrisy by asking two questions. And here they are. Here it is. The first one is this. Where's your heart? Where's your heart? Look at it again. Verse 6. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites, as it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. So do you see, Jesus is saying here, there's a difference between words and actions and heart. Between what's going on on the outside and what's going on on the inside. So these guys are highly religious, probably wore very nice suits. They probably did all the right rules. They probably knew every response from the prayer book. But their hearts are far from God. And that is not a good conclusion for Israel's religious leaders. And it's devastating for us. Well, well, well how did Jesus get to that conclusion? How did, he, how, did he, how did he see that they had God not at their, in their hearts? Well, let's look back to where we began our reading. Verse 53, chapter 6. It's there at the top left-hand corner of page 1010. 
It said, when they, that's Jesus and the disciples, had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret and anchored there. As soon as they got out of the boat, people recognized Jesus. They ran throughout the whole region and carried the sick on mats to wherever he was. And wherever he went, in the villages, towns, or countryside, they placed the sick in the marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak, and all who touched him were healed. Now we've seen that in Mark over and over again, haven't we? Now where Jesus went, hospitals were closed down, GPs were shut down, because where Jesus went, people were healed. We've seen his authority over sickness. We've seen his authority over the supernatural. We've seen his authority even over death. You know? And that matters. That matters. But notice where these things are taking place. Mark tells us, chapter 6, verse 56. Have a little look at it. Villages towns come beside. See, it, it happened not in the city. And that set off alarm bells because if we look back in chapter, chapter 7, verses 3 to 4, these people are all running to Jesus. He's healing them. He's healing the sick and he's doing everything. The Pharisees and the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holy in the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, do you see that? They do not eat unless they wash their hands. Where is Jesus healing? In the marketplaces. Verse 56. And they do not eat, wash their, they, they do not eat unless they wash their hands when they come from the marketplace and they observe many other traditions such as washing of cups, pitchers and kettles. So putting this all together, we can see that the disciples were Jews. They'd been to the marketplace. They'd been with the sick and now they aren't washing their hands. So the Pharisees demand that Jesus explain himself. Why aren't you doing what the law commands you to do? And imagine if you'd been there, standing in that crowd, you'd probably be nodding your head going, yep, 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 those Pharisees, they're right. And it looks so right, doesn't it? They're so concerned for godliness. They're so, they're, they, they want to keep God's standards. They honor God, as Jesus says, with their lips. But the issue is, where are their heart? Because that's what matters. That's what God cares about. And of course, you can't see my heart and I can't see yours. But if we take a step back from the scene, maybe we can see what is amazing about these Pharisees' behavior. Because they've just witnessed Jesus healing and restoring people's lives. Look at the end of verse 56. They begged him to let him touch even the edge of his cloak and all who touched it were healed. So think about that. Lives transformed. Blind seeing. Lame walking. Here's a man with such compassion and with such authority and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who would have known their Bibles would have known that Jesus quoted out of Isaiah 29 and if they knew their Bibles they would have read on down Isaiah 29 and would have seen that when the Holy One of Israel came, the blind would see, the lame would walk. And yet what are they concerned about? 
<laughs> washing their hands, which makes their response absolutely shocking. Absolutely shocking. They don't speak to Jesus about any of his healing. They take no delight in people's lives being restored. No acknowledgement of any lives being transformed. No excitement about of any good being done. No joy at the possibility that God might be in their midst. All they want to argue about is, have you put the nail brush under your dirty fingernails? It is so sad. It seems that the last thing these religious leaders want is God turning up. Now why is there no recognition of what God is doing here? Well, Jesus diagnoses the problem, doesn't he? Where are their hearts? Where are their hearts? Their hearts are far from God, he says, and so let's use this diagnostic test on ourselves. Where are our hearts? See, we can easily pass the religion test we're at church, aren't we? Is that where we are now? We're sitting in a church building, aren't we? We sing hymns. We've prayed. Where is our heart? And actually, this passage gives us a measuring of the distance of where our hearts are from God. Because it asks us, what's our attitude to Jesus? Does what Jesus do here and say here excite us? Is he on our mind, on our lips? Do we think about him as we go through this week? Or actually, is that all very well? But what matters here is if we've got the right hymns and a short sermon and we get out of here before lunchtime. Have we slipped into the way of the Pharisees without even knowing it? Is our concern more for procedure than people? So Christians, sadly, are well known for bickering and nitpicking and looking down on others. It's what the world says to us, isn't it? And it has some force because, sadly, it can be true. We can claim that we know God's King, the one who came to bring, up, bring about so much good, forgiveness, love, peace, the one who will put the world to right when he comes again. And we sing amazing hymns and we say some wonderful words. But the danger is we can say these things even when our hearts are far from God. Look at verse 7. Look what Jesus says. They worship me in vain. So you can still worship, but it can be in vain. They are strong words, aren't they? Because Jesus is saying our religious activity, our church attendance, our singing, all of it, no matter how time consuming, if our hearts are far from God, it's a complete waste of time. In fact, it's more than a complete waste of time. It is dangerous, as we'll see next. Folks, the reality is Jesus is not interested in you brushing up the outside. To be quite clear, he doesn't give a monkey's how you come to church dressed. Do be dressed though. You know, put on a wee bit of clothes, it helps. He's not worried about what's on the outside. He wants your heart. He wants your heart. 
So there's the first question. Where is your heart? Here's the second one. Where is the word of God? Where's the word of God? Look at this. Let's read from verse 6 again. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites as it is written. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings, look what it says, are merely, what does it say? Rules. Human rules. Well, how does this work with the Pharisees? Well, remember, they were very keen in keeping all the rules. They thought that was the way to be careful to do what God wanted. And actually looking in from the outside, that looks quite good. Being disciplined in how you live, wearing a nice suit, coming to church at time, singing the right hymns, doing all the stuff. It looks from the outside, class. But Jesus asked the question, Pharisees, church, where did those rules come from? And Jesus says that what the Pharisees teach as doctrines, what they're teaching as God's word, well, they're no more than the traditions of man. And look at it, and, uh, uh, you know, we've seen that with their obsession of washing up. Did you see it there in verse 3 and 5? That this tradition of the elders, that isn't what God has told them to do. And yet people took this as a sign of holiness and a way of looking down on Jesus' disciples and Jesus for not doing it. And human traditions are very dangerous. And I'm going to show you that in just three verses. Three verses. And notice what they say between the difference of what God says on one hand and what people say on the other. So first of all, look at verse 8. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. Then look at verse 9. He said to them, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God. In other words, you put aside the Bible in order to observe your own traditions. And then verse 13 Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you've handed down and you do many things like that. You see, the religious love the rules. Love rules. Love traditions. They can be hard work at times. But if you know your stuff and if you're going to be religious, if you put in the effort, you probably can do most of them. You can keep religion. But if all those commands and rules don't come from the Bible, if they're not from the word of God, well, let's see what happens. Look at verse 8 again. You let go of the commands of God. When we follow religion, we push the word of God aside. Look at verse 9. It's reject, The word of God gets rejected when we go for human traditions. And then in verse 13, it's voided as if it's not there at all. So Jesus challenged for the religious, even those who are holding their Bibles, maybe even me this morning, is that in following human tradition, we do away with the word of God. Because we busy ourselves with human tradition and we busy ourselves so much that we don't even listen to what God says to us. And Jesus gives us an example of that. Look at verse 10. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father and mother is to be put to death. But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is korban, that is devoted to God, then you're no longer let them do anything for their father and mother. Now I hope we understand the commandments, Ten Commandments. Honor your father and mother, your days may be long upon the earth that the Lord your God has given you. Is which commandment? 
Five. Five rhymes with hive. Hive's a family of bees. Honor your father and mother your days may be long upon the earth that the Lord your God has given you. Okay? Really easy way to remember the fifth commandment. Five rhymes with hive. Hive's a family of bees. Okay? And what they were doing was, people were saying, you've got to look after your mum and dad. And they were saying, oh, I'd love to. I'd love to. Little problem with that. I've promised to give the temple all that money that I was going to give to my mummy and daddy to look after. Sounds so holy, doesn't it? Sounds so good. Oh, you're sacrificing money for the temple? Wow. Sounds so good. And these Pharisees, as Jesus taught that, they would have protested. I would love to support my parents. In fact, Jesus, I would love to, but I can't. I promised the money to God. I've devoted it to God. It sounds so holy, so pious. And these Pharisees may have fooled others, but they're not going to fool Jesus. He exposes what is obvious. They are sidestepping what God has commanded to be done. See, there's a problem with the Bible. Uh, and it's a problem that sometimes I detest. When the Bible is read and studied and we pray for the Bible to speak to us, as we've just sung, it gets underneath our skin. It shows us what we're not and we don't like it. It exposes that there's a problem with your heart and mine. That we'd rather follow man-made rules than follow what God says because following man-made rules is a lot easier. And we read the Bible, we want to sidestep it time and time again. Do you know why? Because it calls us to change. It calls us to repent. It calls us to say that you're not the Lord of your own life. Jesus is. And Jesus calls me and he challenges me to change parts of my life that frankly I don't want to. And if I try to put God's word into practice, I come face to face with the fact that in my own strength, I can never do it. And if I feel that, then what am I going to do? Well, I do what the Pharisees do. I turn to religion, which is a lot easier. It looks impressive because people see it. And I turned to an impressive outward religion that fills you and fills me, that looks on the outside as if I'm worshiping God, but before I know it, I push the word of God aside and I stop listening. The Bible gets left behind. So where's the Bible? Where's the Bible? So we need to ask ourselves, where's the word of God? Where is my priority? Is it to listen to what God has said? Is it to listen and obey? Am I putting myself under the word of God? Are the things that we do in church in line with the word of God? Do they help us do what he says? Or are we following human tradition and we need to ditch a whole part of it? It's a challenging word from Jesus this morning. And it's a warning about religion, not to have it just outward. Not to be like the Pharisees, not to be hypocrites. Their hearts are far from God. They are worrying about all the outward stuff. And that has actually replaced listening to the word of God. And if we're honest, we know this morning that we should be asking ourselves, am I a hypocrite? Am I a hypocrite, Lord? Where is my heart? 
Is it far from you? Am I listening to the word of God? Or has my religion just pushed that aside? That would be a really good couple of questions to ask ourselves. To think it through and not just let this time pass by. Stop to think, am I a hypocrite? I need to repent of that. Am I just following human traditions? Where's my heart? Is it with Christ? Or is my heart far from God? And am I listening to him? Am I doing what he's telling me to do? Am I going to go and make disciples? Am I going to repent and put my trust in him? As he calls the first message out of the Bible from Mark is repent and believe the good news. Am I going to do that? Or am I going to let human tradition just push the Bible aside? It's a hard word. It hits me. I'm sure it hits you this morning. Let's take a moment of silence and let's pray together and ask God to help us and to challenge us and to encourage us where we need it this morning. Let's pray together. We take a moment of silence to ask ourselves those questions. Where is my heart? Am I listening to the word of God? Heavenly Father, we thank you that Jesus doesn't let us hide behind outward religious ceremony. He wants us to know what our hearts are like. Thank you, Father, that you speak through your word and you've told us how we can please you. And yet we see this morning how easy it is to replace your word with human tradition. And so we ask for your forgiveness and your help that we might listen to King Jesus and we might know ourselves well and him all the more. And we thank you, Lord, for the rescue that he's come to bring. Thank you, Lord, he can turn us from turning in on ourselves to turning out towards you. And we pray that you would help us to receive that this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.